There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. I welcome you to the Nerdist Podcast number 526. Say, are you in the Portland area or near the Portland area or in the general Pacific Northwest so that the Portland area is a short car ride or train ride or... Or perhaps a turboprop plane. Eh, don't take a turboprop. But uh, anyway, I'll be at Helium Comedy 12th, 13th, and 14th of June. So please, come on out to that. Portland's one of my favorite cities. I absolutely adore Portland. We, I go up there just for fun every so often. You know, I could I could get a house there someday, maybe. And then just go live amongst the hipsters as if I were one of them and learn their ways. Uh, but it's nice. And you're nice. And everything is nice. You know, I'd like to thank for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. One night only. An all-star comedy tribute to Don Rickles. I'm very excited about this. Uh, it's on May 28th, uh, which is tonight. Um, Don Rickles is a friggin' legend. And he's gotta be 90, 92 years old, but he's still super sharp and funny and still goes on Letterman. And so a bunch of comedians got together on Spike, um, which is tonight again, May 28th. Seinfeld, Letterman, John Stewart, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Tracy Morgan, Bob Newhart, Ray Romano, Regis Philbin! Uh, they all got together and just essentially paid tribute to, to Don Rickles in, in the best way possible. So... Please, please, please watch that. Uh, I will be watching that as well. Again, 9 p.m., May 28th, Spike TV. One night all-star comedy tribute to Don Rickles. Um, And then someday, maybe we'll convince him to get on the podcast, I hope. Or this, actually, this might be, in his mind, this might be the it for podcasts. So you may not ever get a chance to hear him at length in this type of scenario. Again, you don't know. So please, 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 please watch All-Star Comedy Tribute to Don Rickles. Spike, 9 p.m., May 28th. This episode is Dr. Drew, and um, Drew is a very special person in my life because he is a guy, and I'm sure we talk about this in the podcast, but he's one of the first people I called when I said, hey, I would like to not put alcohol in my body anymore. And he said, here, let me lay out a small plan to help you accomplish that. So um, I've known him forever. I used to guest host Loveline. Uh, when when Adam would go out of town, so uh, I, I mean he's never been on the podcast because both our schedules are really sucky in a good way. I mean we're busy, but uh, he has a show called on, Dr. Drew on Call on HLN Monday through Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, um, and then also he has the Dr. Drew podcast and also uh, Loveline. So uh, here he is, Dr. Drew, dear 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 friend, a lovely man, and there's podcast number five twenty six. Now entering Nerdist.com. Dr. Drew, welcome to the podcast. What's happening, buddy? This is amazing. I'd never... First of all, I apologize that you were not on sooner. Um, both our schedules are... Weird. Yes, weird. Intense. Weird's a good word. But you know, I'm right here at CNN, like three blocks away, every oh, yeah. freaking day. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. So, so you could just come on all the time. You want, whenever you want. Whenever you want. so great. So this is a very... This is very special that you're here, because I don't know if... I'm sure I've talked about this before, but uh, when I quit drinking now... What is this? 14... 11 years ago... You were the first guy I called, and you were incredibly helpful, and you set me up with this place. It was a rehab clinic in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. Which one was that? I can't remember which one. I can't remember. I can't remember either, but it was in Pasadena, 
And uh, the story was that I went. Yeah. And I met with them, and they kind of showed me around. I was like, okay, okay. And then it took so it took several days for my insurance to come through. Yeah, I remember you had trouble with the insurance because we, we had limited places we could send you. I remember, yes, which is so often the thing. It's it's horrible, and I don't think the Affordable Care Act is going to change that very much. No, no. Well, it was a it was a. But the funny part was that in. <laughs> The the drying out period was actually you finished it. I finished it, <laughs> waiting for the insurance. So like four or five days went well, that's by. Good. That's lucky. And then I just went. Well, wait. Why do I need to check in now? I just I haven't yep. had a drop of anything for five days, yep. and I feel okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that was good. So by the time it happened, by the time it all came around, and for some reason in my brain, I don't know what it was. I I didn't occur to me to go. Oh, I should just drink up until I have to go to rehab. No, no. I mean, that's if anybody's listening, that's the recommended thing because it can be dangerous to stop on your own. You know, oh, you, I you, didn't you, you, that. Alcohol withdrawal is the one withdrawal that is commonly fatal. The other drug, you can drink detox from heroin, detox, and it's awful, but you don't die. Right. Alcohol withdrawal, you can die. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> Did I die? <laughs> no, no, you're here. It's okay, fine. Okay, good, 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 good. These words somewhere interesting, but I don't know. I mean, it wasn't... Um, I can't, it's hard for me to determine how much of a heavy drinker I was. I just know that I drank every day, and you I were know pretty that into it. I was, you, it was. We were pretty far down the road. I was. A, I was a. I was a beer nerd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not a good term for that. I, I was. Da- I was pretty far down the road, and you know what I realized. Um, it's funny that uh, how much perspective you don't have. I, what I when you're in it. When you're in it. Yeah. Yeah. And you think everyone else is crazy. Yeah. And what you don't realize until afterwards is, oh, they're just reacting to your horrible behavior, but you yes. don't realize it because you're so numb yes. to the rest of the yes, world. Yes, you're just in it, and it distorts everything. And all those, all those other wonderful parts of our brain, our reasoning, our judgment, our insight, our thinking, all serves the fucked up motivation. Can I? Can we just, oh yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Well, the fucked up motivation of addiction, which is use, 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 no matter what. Yeah, and that's all that's important, and everything else has to kind of subsume to that. And there you go. Now, now you're in it. And then, you know, so a lot of people, obviously, because I've been pretty public about, you know, yes, I had this problem, and here's what I did, and I didn't, didn't really, I didn't really stick to AA. I just, I, but I did have a therapist. So I, so Good. when people say, you know, what do Seems I like do? You were in the program for a while, though. You, were, you, for a little while, you, had, you were in the program, weren't you? For about a month. Oh, I thought. I mean, I, I went, I went like four times, maybe. Oh, five I thought times you were in it for a while to, to AA, and and I just, I didn't find a meeting that I really clicked with. Okay. And so at the time, I was just like, I don't know if I, it just didn't feel right to me. Yeah. And another comic friend of mine said, Oh, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't go to AA. Now I'm not just, I've never discouraged people from going. I say, do whatever works. What I tell people is. Whether it's AA, whether it's a therapist, whether it's someone, whether it, uh, a doctor. It's usually both. To be, it's usually to, both. It's usually both. And, and, and usually people are far enough along that the stopping part is the big problem. Right. You, you didn't have that big a problem with stopping, right? You were able to do it just sitting at home. I did, yeah. And, and is there alcohols in your family, in your biological background? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of tough to say, you know, that... I mean, I don't want to pin my my father's bloodline, but yes, well, my dad... It's got to come from somewhere. I mean, yeah, I mean, my what's, dad... What's the ethnicity? My Irish, da- Scottish? Yeah, uh-huh. So Some type of Anglo, so mud. <laughs> um, it, it's like Northern English, yeah. Scottish. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, I'm and, fr- and if it, as I remember... Uh, do you mind me talking about it? Please. Yeah. Um, codependency was a big part of the picture, or was something you might call codependency for you, too. On it, with alcohol or with the relationship? Relationship stuff. Interesting. That I remember relationship things and love addiction, all that kind of stuff, being the, the inciting thing. So it makes sense to me that therapy would have a very powerful role for you. Oh, wow. Of, I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've pretty much been a serial monogamist. But but I think you had a little bit of you know again these are constructs to help people understand yeah of these course things. but I, but I think something that would could be called love addiction or codependency all was under that heading that's so interesting you, and suspect. so what what is that uh, ultimately I mean the word codependency people hear it's it's a yeah it's thrown it's around. sort of a it's a buzzword but but, but what is the main definition the, the, it's I have it too so so it's nothing I don't know intimately <laughs> it's it's it is a a lack of good connection with your own feelings, a preoccupations with others and their feelings and taking care of them, a tendency to idealize and de-idealize people. And once you your attachment, your, your boundaries are kind of porous, and so other people's feelings sort of trigger yours very intensely. Oh, my God. Well, yes, definitely. <laughs> and, and, and you have a heart, what you really don't realize, like, you know, 
I'm speaking, I'll speak in the first person. What I didn't realize is sometimes the feelings that were being evoked were not even the other person's. They were just mine. But they oh. felt like it was the other person's. And that's where codependency gets wacky because you, you have this deep concern for other people, but it's really your own feelings that you're trying to manage. Oh, my God. And, that's crazy. Yeah. And so the kind of, the kind of porousness and enmeshment and all that stuff is sort of the domain. And, and then when people – then you tend to go after people that will just abandon you and leave you. And then that shatters you and you, you, know, you feel very you know, shattered. And then you drink. And then, yeah. And then there you go. Well, I think, I, I think a lot of – I mean that was, I, I, definitely, I definitely agree and I definitely still see, I definitely still see that. But, but, you, but you now see it though. So you see it from, from your – you've had therapy. So now you can go, oh, wait a minute. No, wait yeah. a minute. Well, look at that. That's how I do things. How funny. Well, I always tell for – me, for me, a lot of it was that um, – I had a difficult time because I'm a very I'm very sensitive and so when yeah. I feel something I really feel it. Yeah, yeah. And so um and I you know as my girlfriend always says uh you make uh you make mountains out of molehills basically. Well that that's that's a common thing, right? And and the question there is do you have trouble not just with the sensitivity but you can you not regulate your emotions. So emotions are too prolonged, too intense and too negative. I'm better about it now, but it was boy the first year when you quit there you go. Yeah. So that you just... I mean, I'm not the great. Answer is, no, right. So the answer is... Because affect regulation is the big goal in recovery. You've got to regulate your own affect, your feeling states, without, without yeah. drinking. Yeah. And, and that's very hard to do when you first quit because it takes about a year. For me, it took a year before... Because I had just numbed every emotion that I felt. And so then yeah. when you don't have that and you're like, what is this? You're this yeah. weird yeah. emotional. And it's like, no, those are just normal emotions. Feelings, and you, yeah. have to, you have to learn how to process those. Yeah. So, you know, it's like all of a sudden you could just burst into tears or be really angry. or And you, it was like, what the fuck? And, and see, the reason I know you're not a severe alcoholic like I would treat is that the, the, the real, the hardcore alcoholics, which I'm accustomed to, would use that as a reason to drink. Oh. And that's where the program kicks in. Yeah. Because they would con- every, all day have 50 reasons to drink. Sure. And so someone's got to be like, ah, bah, bah, stop that bullshit. Come on, stop. Right, stop, right, stop, right. Stop. Someone's right, got to right. sit on them. And you didn't need that. So. Well, I, I, I think, you know, a lot of mine, a lot of mine getting out of it was. Uh, was vanity, I think, <laughs> where I was like, I look terrible, and I'm never going to work again if I don't get my life straightened out. And then be- that was the catalyst. And then when I look back, I was like, oh, and then there were all these other problems <laughs> that were way deeper. <laughs> so sometimes I've actually told people, uh, I actually said in my book, like, if you need to start with vanity, start with it. Start Just with whatever something. motivates. Yeah, whatever motivates. And if you don't, you know. But you got to go deeper. And then that's the thing you were able You to must. Do. And Do you remember running into me at New York City? Yeah, well, I, I, which time? I remember running into you in New York City on a sidewalk, like yes. outside a building. And you'd only been sober like about a year or 18 months or two years or something at that point. Yeah. That was a poignant moment for me. Really? Deeply. Why? Because I'd worried about you and lost track of you. Aww. And there you were saying thank you and you were well. I was like... And and you were and you were raw then too. By the way, I could sure. see it. I could see the rawness. I sure. was like, Whoa. <laughs> I was like "Please stay sober." <laughs> yeah, I was still. Uh... But but I was so moved. I was really moved. I remember this. I almost can remember the buildings around. I kind of remember it too. Yeah, I don't remember what street we were. We were, we were on a we were on a East West Street. Oh, I think yeah. I was shooting. Uh, yeah, that's right. I was shooting something. I think we we're on the East Side a little bit. We're and sort of midtowny. Literally just ran into each yeah, other. Yeah, we walked into each other on the street, and, yeah. you, and you were very kind. You were very appreciative, and I was deeply moved. Well, it was such so. a big. I mean, it was you know, I, I I was I was very lucky for a lot of reasons. I was very lucky with my addiction for because number one, I had access to you, yeah. some you know, someone with a lot of experience and someone who was a friend and someone that I've known. You know, I don't know if people know this or not, but I used to fill in on Loveline all the time. And but so we're, we're talking early nineties, mid nineties, yeah, mid nineties, yeah. yeah. And so I've known you for a long time. Yeah, that's and, Twenty years. <laughs> uh, let's you know, we don't have to put a number. Did, on you, not, you remember we used to shoot Loveline right here? Yeah, right here on this yeah. lot. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I spent many, 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 many weeks on this set. Yeah, this, this, this live. You, yeah, you get this, the, the old Stone Stanley building was right at the yeah, front. You get yeah. shot at the stage next door. Yeah. I totally remember all this. But um, it, it, I was lucky because not only did I have uh, did I have you and access to you, but I also I had a really good therapist. I had you know, even though I didn't go to AA, which you know, I I'm not saying don't go. I'm just saying for me that wasn't. I you had a slightly it. different path. But I listen. You're, I you're, had a bunch of comics who also 
Like a comics are a great support group because a lot Some, of them, or they keep you using one of the. They go one way or the <laughs> one other. One or the other. They go one way or the other. But the ones that I knew, you were, stuck with the winners. Which I, is the great. ones that I knew were really great, yeah. and I had a, yeah. you know, I had supportive parents, and my best friend yeah. Mike Furman was great, yeah. and so it was. I was very lucky that I had a good support structure, and so you know, what 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 can people do if they don't have that support? Well, that's structure? why you need the, That's what the twelve step. I mean, literally. The severe alcoholic, which you, you're clearly not. You, you had more of these other issues. So I should, start again. I should probably start again, right? If you, if, if you want me to treat you, you better, you better work harder <laughs> so next time. Yeah, okay. God damn it. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, if somebody was right, you need somebody on them all the time. Yeah. And that's the, that's the function the, the, uh, the program serves. Also, you need somebody reflecting back to them how their disease is affecting them all the time. That's yeah. the sponsor going, hey, hey, there it is. Shut, shut up. Stop the bullshit. Sit down. Get over here. Because the disease causes a lot of BS, a lot of BS thinking, a lot of BS you know, behaviors. And somebody's got to constantly be there. I mean, if you could have a team of therapists and shifts on the person, sure. that would work better. Yeah. But that's just really never going to happen. Yeah, it's sort of tough. I mean, you know, my I know my grandfather was a drinker, and my dad was definitely a drinker. And he... He became a casual drinker in the in the later years of his life, but he still drank every day. He still had yeah. you know beers every day, and so that's interesting. So again, that's that suggests your biology is not as, your genetic biology is not as intense that he could control it just the way you could control it. Well, he you know it's, it's, I'd not say there weren't consequences. No, but he was, no, no, he wasn't escalating. No, it got it 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 definitely trailed off. It's funny we had a conversation. The year before, I guess maybe a year or two, but maybe a year before he died, and he said, um, we were just talking about it, and he was like, I think it's great that you don't drink. I think it's really great, you know? He goes, e- you know, even I, look, I have six or eight beers a day, because at a certain point, you got to slow down. I thought that was so funny. I'm like, you got you to slow down. <laughs> you got to slow down to six to eight a day. I'm also just flashing on your visit to Loveline, the TV show, when you brought one of the visits, probably the first one. You brought a blow up sheet. I, I remember that. Yeah, I brought a. The, it was. I bought a. I don't know why. I just thought, oh, it'd be fun if I bring a prop. So I went to the pleasure chest and I brought this thing called the Fuck You E W E, and uh, and then I went out E U E the E U E the Fuck You, and I blew up this inflatable sheet. E W E E W E and uh, what did yeah. I say? Fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah, I said we said E U E. Oh, E U E. What am I? Anyway, I'm talking too fast. But yeah. uh, I bought I and I picked a bunch of weed of grass and put it in a in a Ziploc bag. And then I presented it to Adam, and I was like, "Well, here, and I'll set a scene." And then I poured some grass on the thing, like it's she's grazing, and you know, she, does, she senses your presence. And I don't know what I don't know why. I don't know. I was uh, of course Adam's not very tolerant with anybody else trying to do any bits. So he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's gonna cost. I'll tell you what, though. He's always been pretty. He's always been pretty kind to me about that. So for some reason, I think it's. I think I got grandfathered in with Adam because I'm. You know, I'm. We started at K Rock, like. Within months of each other. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So that's interesting. Now you, uh, uh, I remember. I don't remember. I I think I ran into you in the E building. It was like the day Michael Jackson died. I ran into you. Yes. And you were distressed because you said, you know, it's we we're over medicating in this country, Uh, and I've been saying this forever. There's a bubble. uh, There's 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 a there's a bubble that's coming, Mm -hmm. and it it comes with mixing you know drugs and medicines, and this is these people are going to start dropping like flies. And I had known that. um, uh, I mean, I remember having to. I had a serious back problem years and years ago. And they had given me Vicodin, yep. and then they had separately given me Soma. No, some type of benzodiazepine, oh, Jesus. maybe Valium. That's or the something. dangerous combo. And so, I remember I had taken, I took a, I took the Vicodin one once or twice, and I didn't. It always made me feel weird. Like I just felt sick to my stomach, and yeah. it didn't really good. And so then, count your blessings. The next night, I took. The Valium, and then I had this really. I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had the scariest thought I've ever had, which is, I thought I was going to kill myself. Like I had this weird. I think I might just jump out yeah. off the balcony. What, and was I, it was it an intrusive thought? Like yeah. uh, like uh, what if I were to? Or no, was it, it was I need a, to. It was almost like I think I'm going to. I need like to, a yeah. very strange. Yeah. yeah. And it scared me so much that I never Good. took you it again. Away from that shit. And then I looked it up, and I was like, "Oh, what?" You know, because not knowing any better, because obviously most people aren't educated yeah. on these matters. I looked it up online, 
And it was like, no, no, don't do this. But then I would read, I would get into these message boards where people would say, so, you know, I'm taking Xanax and then I also took a Valium and then I took this other thing and three other things. And people are taking like five different things. You know, is it normal for me to dot, dot, dot? Like, how are these people still alive? Well, it, it takes a lot to die of a benzo. Uh, you have to take a lot of it. But when you add the opiate in is when it gets dangerous. And the opiates escalate pretty quickly. And we live in a world where doctors will keep escalating it. There's literally a discipline out there that has it, holds this philosophy. Pain is what the patient says it is. Right. Now, if you're a drug addict, that is an open invitation. <laughs> that is game on. Yeah. And then you throw in some benzos because I can't sleep because I'm in opiate withdrawal and I have headaches and back pain from my opiate withdrawal. Now it's now it's a dangerous combo. Yeah, Eddie Pepitone had a really great bit because he was addicted to, to uh, Vicodin for a while, and he said he thought the uh, he thought the slogan should be, uh, "Come to think of it, I am a little sore." <laughs> Which, but, but now what you're seeing is now the doctors are sort of finally getting the message. They're cutting down or cutting off these patients. Yeah. Now that they've iatrogenically, it's like called iatrogenesis means you know illness caused by interaction with the medical system so they've iatrogenically created an opiate addict and they go oh it's a bad patient i am not giving any more opiates where do you think they're going sure heroin right and that's why the big heroin epidemic right now well it's uh i'm very very lucky that i'm so a i'm lucky that i have anxiety and that i have <laughs> and that i've had bad reactions to things yeah. in the past because yeah. it scared the shit well, out of me well it's so interesting much. it's fa- what's fascinating to me is i i'm very interested in the genetics of uh, addiction and very few alcoholics don't have a rather wonderful response to opiates so the fact that you had that sort of dysphoric response to the Vicodin is, to me, part of the story of why you're able to control your alcohol. Well, it felt good, but also um, I also sort of felt like it feels too good. Like oh. I could feel that I felt I felt myself. Um, I know that feeling. The like the, I don't know how else to describe it. I've, I've described it before as like your molecules become like millions of hungry baby birds <laughs> and they just want to be fed and they're yeah. they're sort of almost like guiding your body to this yes. thing without you yes but it's, but but at the same time that you had that do it again feeling you didn't really like it that much no because i got See, scared. that's the part I got but scared. that's the part though that's because because it's unusual for an alcoholic not to also really like it so imagine that combo oh yeah terrible yeah, so, alcohol yeah. and and vicodin yeah. Yeah. i mean it's i i really hope that it is I mean it's obviously really fucking easy to get drugs, especially with the internet. But excuse me, I really hope people are more aware about. I hope the, so. The, the cocktails of mixing. We are just so over medicated and so overdone and so over everything. Is it because and, is it is it just a bad marriage of we are we don't want to feel anything bad in any moment, so we are predisposed that. to want to feel good. There is that, and, and an we don't industry, have to because there's these great miracle molecules that can prevent and, that. And, and an industry that basically goes, aha, they, we can make there's money that. off this. There's that, but ultimately, and you may appreciate this as somebody that's been in therapy because I was in therapy for a long time too. Ultimately, our relationships are impoverished, and humans really need a lot of each other to mm-hmm. fill ourselves up. Again, that's what recovery tries to do. That's why sure. a lot of people need that, and they need it from somebody who understands where you are with your disease. But therapy is really about that too. Is about crafting closeness, and that's what heals the codependency and creates a healthy relationship and a healthy model for relationships that you can then go out in the world and fill yourself with over and over again. We 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 don't have that. We have shitty families. We have childhood <laughs> abuse. We have abandonment. We have excessive preoccupation with things other than our relationships. Yeah. And humans need relationships, a lot of them. Well, what's interesting to me Healthy is relationships. you have this codependency issue and like the job that you have... A professional codependent. How do it's you kind of not, professional codependent. But how do you not absorb all Therapy. of the... I used to. All of the trauma. I and wrote a book about it. I, I used to. I used to completely get into rescuing people and seeing thing, my ability as special to rescue them. And oh man, would the patients clean up with that? <laughs> they would just they would just go to town on me. And I was I couldn't understand what was happening. And then I started therapy. And I was like, Ugh. <laughs> and so I got because I also have great. Um, with the, you know, you get pretty good empathic skills when you're when you're uh, sure. Uh, but you also like. Or interest in other people, and, and and you don't get you don't get sort of burned out by their stuff. You mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, helping. Um, 
And so it became an asset later. Once I developed good boundaries and things, it became an asset. I could really use it. You started doing Loveline when you were like 24, right? Yeah. It was something insane. Well, that was, but remember back then, that was really a very different show. I mean, also it was, what motivated me was uh, something we called GRIDS at the time, gay-related intestinal disease syndrome, that probably about the three or four months that I just started to do Loveline, we started calling AIDS. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have a causative agent yet. I was putting people in the ground so often it was unbelievable they'd come in with their first episode of pneumocystis pneumonia and i would just say you have six months to live and i was never wrong it was insane it was insane people don't know how horrible it was back then and um it was interesting that's why the dallas buyers club kind of bugged me a little bit uh because they they were part of the problem for us once we had azt and we had antivirals we couldn't get the patients to take them. We, we had a way to make their lives longer, and they didn't trust anybody because of those, those clubs. It was really rough for about two or three years. And then more, more and better combinations came along, and people, the word, word got out, and people started taking them. Um, but it was, I just thought it was important. And no one was talking, back then, it's 1983, 84, no one was talking about AIDS in the public. Uh, you know, we just didn't have a, the term safe sex hadn't been coined yet. Sure, of course not. Hadn't been coined yet. And, I don't know if you really understand, but the public didn't think young people were having sex. The sexual revolution of the 70s was something adults did. Right. Swingers. like Adults. Yeah. Playboy Band is all about uh, Hugh Hefner and his crowd. and But adolescents were getting deeply into well, this. Well, like, that's why Fast Times was such an interesting movie because it, it sort of – that – that movie kind of planted a flag, and there is a there is a sexual revolution happening with like teenagers. That's right, and no one no one knew it. And I was like, hey, hey, wait a minute. I know I was I was a teenager six years ago. I, I know what the fuck is going on here. We need to talk to them about this. They have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea the risks. Simple things like pregnancy and STDs, totally mysterious. Then there was no internet. There was no place to go to get the information. So that's what really motivated me to get on the radio. And I, we were only doing it one night a week then. Originally, it was midnight to three in the morning. And, um, and then it quickly moved to a different t- earlier time slot. But I would just do it once a week for free. I thought I was doing community service. It and was it, fun. It, so, it's, so the show started off. It's interesting that the, the show, I think, if I remember correctly, because I used to listen to it when I was in college, that it was, it was much more. Were you in college again? UCLA. Oh, UCLA. you're here. So. It, was much, it was much more uh, sex-centric. But I feel like it evolved to become a very uh, like addiction and abuse uh, well, it, as well. It, it be, well, we started hearing it became clearer that the the mistakes young people were making was the result of their distorted their bad relationships in their family systems. We started hearing more explicitly mm-hmm. about terrible choices and dysfunctional relationships. So we started making that connection, and I, I think we were just at, at in the late in the early eighties where we were at the leading edge of a of a wave. Of a big, a big problem with sexual and physical abuse of kids. It just was starting to come out. See, I think the '70s sort of unleashed all that. It's like, hey, whatever you're into, you're into kids, man. Whatever you're into, well, who are we to judge? You know, yeah. it's like, well, <laughs> no. Yeah, well, because I remember when I would get, when I would fill in on Loveline, someone would call in and and they would start talking about something that seemed very innocuous to them, where they go, you know, um. I don't know if this is weird. I can't have an orgasm unless someone punches me in the face. Yeah, yeah, stuff like uh, that. And then you would sort of put that. You would put a, put them. You'd put the microphones on mute so no one, <laughs> no one could hear. And you would go, um, uh, ten bucks says they were molested. Yeah, yeah. And so then you would put the. Uh, not in a callous way, but just in a, I've heard this a million times before. Yeah. And then you would start digging and you go, well, what happened to you when you were younger? Nothing. I had yeah, a totally no, normal life. Yeah, always. Really? Anything normal? No, I mean, it wasn't. So you literally. Well, have, one, one time, no, my no, uncle no, put not it, even one time. You literally, you have to ask very specific. You have to, you, because they, because, a trauma gets put away, so you have to go. Uh, did anyone ever hit you? No, no, no one hit me. Well, I was disciplined, but no one ever hit me. Right. Okay. When you were disciplined, did they ever pick up an object to discipline you? Well, like anybody, I had to get you know whips and rakes and things like <laughs> baseball bats. But, you, but like anybody, it was good for me. I needed it, man. It's this much. So and then all of a sudden, you're and you're like, and then they go, "You don't think that could be it?" And no, it's they like literally will fight you. They'll yeah. fight you and go, "No, no, no, I needed that. I, I, I got my act together because of that." No, well. It's affecting your relationships now, and so. But it's so scary because you know we, you and I have have had our share of the. Oh, it can't be that thing. Oh, wait, no, it isn't. <laughs> so uh, you know, how do you develop an awareness about? How do you how do you get that that, that sense of an introspection? It's, yeah. it's all, yeah. You mean you mean how do 
how does one develop it in themselves? Sure, sure. For people, you know, for people who are listening, it's, unfor- it's, it's unfortunate. There's no other way that I know of than so everyone fucked up. Well, well, a lot of us are <laughs> fucked up. And m- mindfulness is a good way. Uh, you know, you know, one novel way. I'm writing a book about this right now. Is just I- I'm trying to write a book that helps somebody craft this with just another person and not a therapist. Because who can afford all this? You know, and, and there's no, we need you know we don't have armies enough of therapists out there, but. That that basically the twelve step sort of as a model for intimacy. It really is. That's basically all the twelve step is. It's a guided relationship. And if you if you take a version of that and you apply it to a novel relation, I, I, like I think people if they we tend to hang out with the same kind of people that reinforce our same kind of sense of self. Mm-hmm. Try to hang out with people that maybe see you with a new pair of glasses, see you differently. Listen to how they experience you. Listen to that, and then work at crafting a closeness with that person. And there's sort of ways to do that. Like you know, first of all, take a deep breath and have faith that they're not going to shame you or hurt you, and then start disclosing about yourself. And you know, they're just just like, the, like a guided relationship. You're basically, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's funny. It's it's like stepping outside your recommendation engine. Yeah. Where it's like you yeah. know, iTunes will go, you like this. Here's ten other songs you would probably no, no, like. The it's, opposite. It's, it's a, going. Here, no, I'm going to go listen to bluegrass. Yeah. Here's something that's to make you stretch. And 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 then again, see how you're perceived by. Somebody interesting to you, but not attractive to you. Because attractions, what, what attracts is really built on our pathology. Sure. That's what attraction really is. But but somebody interesting, smart, you admire, how do they perceive you? And how and get close to that person and work on that, just spending time and see if something, you know, sense of yourself emerges in a different way. Well, it is interesting. I mean, I, I don't see, I don't think that, um, like in my relationships, I don't think I've dated the same type of girl every time. Have you had therapy? But I did have therapy, but I also, but I still, you know, I always feel like I'm still a million miles from being, I am a healthy relationship person. And, you know, like I am, I got this down. Like I still feel like, you know, I still feel like I hear the same thing. You've been been, been your current relationship for a long time, haven't you? Um, uh, Yeah, just like two and a half years. That's a long time. Yeah, and my my previous relationship was seven. Oh. And so uh, I went, yeah, I went from a seven year relationship and I didn't, I didn't date. I just, you know, I I immediately got into another relationship, mm-hmm. and um, because I really, you know, I met someone that I really really l- dug, yeah. dug and kept and fell in love with, and so. But it's it's funny. It's like no matter how evolved I think I get, I still feel like I hear some of the same things. Well, we're never in every relationship. We're never perfect, right? And and you know, it's like all of our stuff still goes. It's just that we are more aware of it. We have some more control over it. Well, how is it that like in the daylight hours? <laughs> I'm very, you know, I'm very positive and upbeat, and I try to, you know, like, oh, let's all fucking, we can do this. And then I go home, and I just feel like I get serious and intense and boring. <laughs> like, I don't know what the fuck happens. I don't know if, I, if I'm just scooping all this energy out during the day and then just getting home and just being like, grr. Well, you know what? I used to get depressed at night when I went home. When I was a kid, because my family wasn't very was very nice, I was sort of doing homework. <laughs> I was always sort of maybe it's an old pattern. I, I could I could I, I, I think if I didn't go out and do Love Line at night, I might get a little depressed. I, Love Line, <laughs> particularly on Sunday nights, I used to get very depressed, and Love Line saved me from that. Interestingly, forever in thirty years, you're kind of a workaholic. <laughs> yeah, no, I was a bad workaholic at one point. Now I'm kind of a workaholic, but but before I was bad, bad, bad. So what what were you running from? Um. I had a certain amount of emotional abuse as a kid, and uh, it was before I had therapy. And therapy really settled that down a lot. Uh, and you know, it's like everybody else, I, I, you, I get I got in sort of a harried state when you're sort of running from your trauma and trying yeah. to. And also, I, I had many, many secondary reinforcers. You know, I really believed in what I was doing, and I wanted to be the best doctor. And uh, you know, I would sacrifice everything to be you know Johnny on the spot. Sure. And so, and I, and I really sort of philosophically bought into that and, uh, it was tough. It was really tough. And so you feel, you feel a little bit more even. Oh no, way better. Oh no, no. Ridiculous. Uh, I had panic attacks when I was a kid. I was in college. I had panic attack and depression when I was like 19 and, uh, went to some therapy then, didn't really pay attention, (laughs) didn't really do it. (laughs) And, uh, they kind of went away and, uh, I solved it by solved it in quotes by you know going to medical school and having all these really interesting fun things that I love to do and then workaholism was the next sort of stage of that. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So it does there is something about our brains that just like that just has to lock on to something. Yeah, oh for sure. When you, when you've had trauma, there's all kinds of interesting things happen and uh it 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 usually is sort of strategies to feel good. 
yeah. to feel really good. I guess that's and, true. And uh, and and I get I get a little bit uh, gratified by. I'm aware of it now. I'll get I'll get going with work where I get like overdone. I'm overdoing it. I'm scheduling too many things. Get a little high from that. Get a little like into it. Kind of aware that 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 was something I probably used back then. My uh, my last girlfriend pointed out that I that I only ever really got. I, and I'm a, I'm aware of when it's happening. Even in, even though I'm aware of when it happens, it's still difficult to stop it sometimes. But I used to get well, and I still get sometimes like you know hypochondria of like, oh my god, I have this thing. And my last girlfriend said, you know, you really get that when you go on a break. It was just like the momentum of slowing down, then processing all of the go 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 go, and then just what, do you, what do you get? What do you get? I'm- what do I get? No, I'm not clear what you're describing. I'm describing like of like expressing stress through like hypochondria or oh, like the, just oh, something I to see. Oh, that's just something to focus on. Oh, how interesting! It's almost like my brain needs something else to focus on other than things that I'm feeling because it's either work and when it's not work, it's like oh, this is probably a cancer. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I get that. I, I get that kind of thing. Are you still in therapy? Yeah, I get. I used to get that kind of stuff when I was changing a lot in therapy. Oh, that's interesting. Isn't that interesting? That I would get these somatic... I'm not somatic at all. But all of a sudden, I would get like, I'm dying. But Because part of me probably was as you change. Oh, you know, that's crazy. You know, I hadn't even thought of that. Isn't that interesting? That when you really change in therapy, you get grief because a part of you goes... You know, you change. Oh, that you just blew my mind. <laughs> so. You just blew the other part of my brain out the back of my head. Of course. That yeah. makes... Oh, wow. That's so interesting. Yeah, because I, 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 I would that. come and I go, I think I, think I have a brain tumor, but... It must be because I'm really like I, I also feel like I'm really changing and, and I'm sort of depressed because I'm like mourning the loss of my old sense of self and stuff. I because I I often think that you know there's the, there is an emotional law of conservation of energy. Sure, and that, 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 that things just don't disappear. It's just things just kind of transmute. Well, they they integrate. That you you get wiring into certain areas. So they so the, the idea is that you sort of become a whole. And then you can refl- flexibly regulate as a whole, you know, integrate and regulate. Oh man, that's so interesting. Yeah. I never thought about that before. Yeah, yeah I still, uh, yeah, I've, you know, I have a therapist that I really like, and I, I talk, I try to talk to her once a week I mean, yeah, when, 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 when I can. I, I keep wanting to go back and do analysis, go into analysis. I, I've got to do that to do what? Go into psychoanalysis. Oh, which psycho- is sort of the next. Le- it's sort of more of a deeper, weirder exploration. But is it? Uh, at what point is it? It, it becomes it becomes into it, it becomes unnecessary at a certain point. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, if you, it's I sort of feel like there's this kind of old school idea of, you know, if you go looking for shit, you're going to find shit. Yeah, no, but I'm but I'm a student of the mind. I love this shit. I mean, I mean, Howard Stern's been going three days a week for ten years. Oh wow. Yeah, and he and you can see the difference. He's, I mean, I, I really was not a fan before, and now I'm a huge fan because he's so insightful in, in when he's at the interviews and stuff. I right? guess I guess that's true. I mean, I haven't. Uh, I don't know if I've gotten any more insightful over the. You know, actually, I do feel like I've gotten a little more insightful, but I still feel like I still feel like I'm struggling with this kind of selfish. You're a work in progress. What's yeah, what's wrong I, with I, that? But I feel like a lot, yeah, I, I feel like that's always the case, though. I, th- I feel like the moment you go ta da, like <laughs> it's like, well, maybe. Well, at a certain point, what happens is you go. All right, enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's never all going to get better. It's like, all right. <laughs> and I don't know when, but I still feel like I'm pretty far off. I mean, you know, some for some reason, my girlfriend is still very patient with me. That's good. Um, but even though I think I drive her crazy, <laughs> I'll talk to her. You'll, you'll I'll have talk- to see what's really going on there. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I get very locked on ideas, I'm like, why does this have to be like this? Or I'm so very serious, and you know. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. I, I, it'd be fun if I could just. It'd be fun if just at the end of the day I could just sort of brush everything off and be like, ah, now I'm just gonna go. Home. But I don't know. Some, I think something about the momentum of the day. Is you just, take stuff home with you. I take stuff home, or I'm just emotionally spent, and you know, it. it I just kind of wallow in this deep sort of. Uh, I'm just sort of. I just got to recover. Yeah. You know? Does she understand that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she understands. She she definitely understands it. But I'm so it's sure. a little bit of your codependency against you're feeling guilty for needing to just lick your wounds at night. Maybe, and and that's she has to kind of like support that rather than make you feel bad for it. Yeah, ideally. I, I mean, I mean not... she she has her needs too, and you got maybe there needs to be a sort of a more of a structured give and take. Like, 
okay, I'm, I'm going to listen to you for 10 minutes and hear what your day was like and try to be present for you, and then I need to go hang out in my you know, closet. Right, in my yeah, yeah. closet. Well, I mean, it's not, I mean, I wouldn't say like, oh, this, the poor girl is tortured, but I think it's, you know, as some days I'm less fun than, than other days, which is... Do you have you to be fun every day? You know, I, should, I should be fun more of the time. Does she complain I, I, about that? No, it's... You reminded me of a guy with premature ejaculation. She, she, <laughs> turns out she was relieved the whole time and you were premature. <laughs> turned turn out she has nothing problem with it's all you know in your head. Is, you know what I'm discovering about myself is that I'm, and maybe this is just part of getting older, but I feel like I was always this way. I'm very resistant to try new things. I don't like change, and I feel like all of my issues center around control issues. It's like I, I very much like to have everything perfectly yeah, that's a good alcoholic in, thing. In, in control. That, that's, by the way, where the program would have helped you because that, that the first two steps are about letting go of control. God damn that's it. That's what it's about. Should have well, gone for maybe, more than but, a month. But maybe, maybe some that what usually helps people with that is some sort of concept of faith, something. So, so a belief that things will be okay if you don't control them. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it's hard. If your life doesn't depend upon it, you know what I mean? Like your recovery doesn't depend upon it. It's hard to get people to evolve that if they don't oh, already have so, that. Oh, it'd be so great to just let it go. If, if I could find some sort of a... If I could find... I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe mindfulness would be good for you. Have you ever looked into mindfulness? I, ha- I have, but I haven't actually... No, someone else told me that. Oh, fuck. Who, who else told me that? Someone else just said, you know, you should try meditation. And yeah. I fucking can't remember who There's it was. all kinds of stuff out there that's good. You know, whether it's TM or mindfulness or whatever. There's all, it's all basically the same thing. That's a great idea. I, yeah. You know, it's, we get caught in, you get caught in patterns. And sometimes you don't realize that, you're, that something is declining until... Oh, yeah, of course. Until like, oh... Oh, of course. Oh, yeah, now I'm really in a pit yeah. and I really should... That it, everything just takes maintenance, and it's funny how I think. I mean, I I, I think the analogous um, discipline is fitness, which is Very the much. older you get, the more work you have to do just to feel okay. Oh yeah. So it, you <laughs> oh yeah. I would assume I would assume that as we fill up the hard drive in the, in our head. Uh, uh- <laughs> Uh, it, it's if you really don't attend to stuff right, then you then you have a deficit you're trying to deal with. But usually, as you get older, things get easier and better because you, you our, our some of our hormonal stuff and our wiring stuff. Well, my dad, my dad was so ha- happy and peaceful later. Yeah, near the end in yeah. the last few years. What did he die of? Just had a heart attack. Oh. He just like bam. Smoker? No, no. Weird. Mm-hmm. No, I mean not. I mean Check, when he get was your, get he, your cholesterol checked. He had smoked. Yes? He did. You? Oh me. Yeah, no, no, I will, okay. I will. Yeah, I actually, and I, after off the air, I'd love for you to recommend it. My 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 doctor that I haven't uh, seen for a couple of years is uh, like he's like eighty two. Oh no! So I think I need. I think I need. Where do you live? Uh, I live in the East Hollywood. Okay, so right here. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, so my dad, my dad smoked when he was young, mm. but he hadn't smoked okay, for like forty so, right. years. Okay. Um, but there was something, and this is probably just me trying to make connections to things. Mm. He he was seventy two. He went to the doctor every. Like, he was very. You know, very much went to the doctor every year, you know. So he had a gallbladder problem. Mm -hmm. So they took out his gallbladder in August, and he felt great. Mm -hmm. I happened to be in Memphis. I brought him home from the hospital. Is that where you're from? Yeah. Memphis? Uh, Yeah. Well, I was born in Louisville, Kentucky. I grew up in Memphis. My uh, son's in Nashville a lot, so. Oh, Nashville. I love it. Is it Vanderbilt? It's good, good school. Amazing. Gorgeous city. Love yeah. Nashville. Yeah. Memphis. I, I enjoy Memphis, too. So my dad has his gallbladder out. The doctors say, because they, before the gallbladder was out, they said, look, you're in amazing health. He exercised. You know, you're in amazing health. You just have this gallbladder thing. They took it out. Three months later, he just, he just his heart yeah. just fucking stops. Yeah. So I was at his wake. Are we sure it was a heart attack and not a stroke or a bleed in the brain? It was or? definitely a heart attack. Did it, did the, it, the, 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 the autopsy, did autopsy revealed okay, 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 a myocardial okay. infarction. Yes, okay. So, but it was, but there, that was the only, yeah. there were no more details. Yeah, that's it. That's all you need. <laughs> so um, I, was at his, I was at his wake and this old woman came up to me and she was like, and I didn't know who she was, but I guess she had been friends with my, my mom, my stepmom and my dad. So she said, oh, my husband, you know, he... He died, you know, he uh, dropped out of a heart attack too. And, you know, it was so strange. He had just had his gallbladder out. And then I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then someone else came up to me 
a month later with the same thing. Oh, I lost my, you know, my grandfather and my dad, you know, it was a couple months after they had their gallbladder out. And like, that's so weird. <laughs> it is weird. And I, I never say never. Maybe one day we'll find some weird connection. But I think it was more the surgery than, than probably the gallbladder itself. But who knows? Maybe it, it changed how he ate or his metabolism or something. Who knows? Yeah, something. Just something. knowing that, that everything internally is connected in some way. In some interesting ways. But, but do go get your cholesterol checked. Because that's young for him to have a big old heart attack like that. So he's 72. It's still, it's a little bit. If he did smoke, but anyway, I, I really just get your cholesterol checked. I will go. Well, I have to. Yeah, I just need to you, go. You know my story this year. I was. Just, I, I had a horrific year medically. Myself. What? Oh yeah. Oh, please. And and, and I'm just. Um, you, you. It triggered me when you were talking about fighting to get back. I've only been like feeling good for the last month since uh, like three years, frankly. I mean, I here's what happened. So. Uh, uh, my wife, uh, by the way, I'm going to tell a story. If you want any more information, go to PCF.org. It's the Prostate Cancer Foundation. Oh, you? no. Yeah, I'm going to tell you a prostate cancer story. So I'm, um, we were in Caribbean like three years ago, and I got, like the, I got H1N1 and pneumonia. I was <gasps> so sick. It was terrible. But my wife goes, the way you were, you were so sick, there's something wrong. This is not a normal. You just, you fell apart. I'm like, nah, pff, I'm an internist. Why, you want me to see you get a physical? That's fucking ridiculous. I'll, I look, I talk to an infectious disease guy. If I have a lung problem, I see my pulmonary friends. Cardiologist follows my blood pressure. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. She makes an appointment. I go in. I'm like, oh, God. Okay, all right. Go ahead. This is a guy, great guy, friend of mine. And uh, I go, oh, your PSA. PSA has gone up from a 0.8 to like a 3.9 like, or 4 or something. Like, still normal. Got to see a urologist. I'm like, no, come on. Let's just check it again in a year. No, urologist. So I go to the urologist. He's like, well, it feels a little large. Let's do an ultrasound. Well, it's a little something, something. Must be prostatitis. So now he treats me, treats me, treats me. PSA is not going down. Now you got to have a biopsy. I'm like, fuck. Are you kidding me? I'm going to kill my wife. This all is such bullshit. It's unnecessary. It's overkill. It's overaggressive. Cancer. Oh. I couldn't believe it. it was, I was shocked. And so uh, I was like, oh, interesting. So... Uh, and it's a low-grade cancer, so I know I can wait. I don't have to rush and do anything. And uh, and I thought, uh, all right, I'll take it, take it out next year. I, it was When I was doing Life Changers, I, I had a daytime show, and I had HLN. It was oh. literally the week we were going into prostate. They took out your prostate? No. Oh. I, I had the biopsy and had the diagnosis okay. the week we were going into production, and I syndicated a daytime show. Oh. It was so crazy. And I was doing HLN at night, and Bloodline. It was insanity. Maybe you're lucky, though, that you had a lot of things to distract you. Yeah, maybe, I, perhaps. But anyway, I knew I could wait the year at least. And so it came time to... Um, do the surgery because it, it's just at my age with what this was, that that's the right way to do it. And uh, somebody said, why don't you get another opinion? I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I should get another opinion. <laughs> so so I, I talked to a guy now at Cedars who does watchful waiting, active surveillance it's called, where they repeat the biopsies every so often. And then because you, you can go 10 years like that sometimes. And I thought, Fanta- I'm in. <laughs> Fantastic. Let's go do this. Because I, I was not happy about an operation. And plus, I was busy then too. And uh, – but I would feel so shitty after these biopsies. I, for like three months, I, I'd get like I'd have to be on antibiotics. I'd feel weak and tired. It was very weird. And finally, the thing started growing, and the guy says time. So that was last July, and I had the operation. It's a big fucking operation. It's intense, but everything's great. Everything's absolutely fine. Uh, what is the operation? What do they do? It's a robot. They put in like six. I've got scars all little tiny scars all over the place, and they go in and they take out your prostate. So your prostate's gone. 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 Oh, what does that mean? Is he well, <laughs> what, ha- what happens? Your face. Uh, you don't produce semen anymore, and that's about it. Otherwise, everything's pretty much normal. For me, everything's normal. And how does that affect? Nothing. It's cl- not so messy. <laughs> <laughs> that's about but, it. But, this, but you, so you, could, you're still, you could still... Everything functions normally. Everything's normal. Yours are all sexual function normal. Oh, my gosh. But... but you know, it was a six-hour operation, the big operation, and, and I didn't realize that the anesthesia kicked the shit out of me, and, and the recovery did too. So I was like preoccupied with getting enough sleep, and I didn't have really, I wasn't exercising quite the way I normally did. But I thought, well, I'm just getting old. You know, turns out that that whole time I was getting biopsies and the recovery from the surgery, I was not myself, and I've only become myself for like the last month. It's nice to be back, and now I've started running again and doing all these things I used to do. I'm like. Holy shit, I'm back. This is <sighs> crazy. I can do my workaholism again. It's fantastic. That's so nice. <laughs> well, but anyway, so all it, that's a, my story of woe. So. Well, my, my grandfather um, died of uh, prostate cancer. Well, you got to get young. Because he, when he was 77 or 8, right. 
So you got to get. Did, the, he did, but he didn't. I think get I may those be, PSAs. Get I them. may be wrong about this, but I think he elected to just not have his prostate out because I think he worried like that it would affect him. A lot of guys do that. They get freaked out about it. And at that age, you do radiation or things anyway. You wouldn't take it out at that age. And sometimes you do nothing, depending on what the grade is. And they may have made the wrong choice. For right. Hours. But, um, you know, it, the, the, the key message for people at home with the two big messages from my story uh, one is get your PSAs checked. I don't, I, it's, the different societies, the, the American Board of Internal Medicine and the urological societies have disagreements about how to follow these things. Follow it. And if you have any family history, really follow it. Uh, and get biopsies if you need it. And trust, here's the other thing, is trust the instincts, the judgments of your physicians. People don't understand you don't see a doctor for their knowledge base. That That's a given. You give it for the judgment and the instinct to make the right call. My guy waited till the right time, made the call, and I was just, I was within inches of trouble. It was starting to extend, and it would have been bad news if we hadn't it's done it. so interesting. And it was purely instinctive. There was no objective way to, to call it the way he did. He just called it then. It was the right call. It's really interesting that you <laughs> – there was almost this kind of uh, – that your arrogance was almost a downfall for you. Like, I'm a fucking doctor. What do you mean? <laughs> it wasn't even arrogance. So it, was, it was sort of – it was sort of a – like – Come on. I mean, why, why do I need a phys? I, I take care. I take my blood pressure meds. I take my cholesterol meds. I, I do everything. Everything's fine. I monitor my blood every year. My PSA has been nothing forever. What, what's the big deal? And I had an infectious disease guy, a friend of mine, when I was so sick with the Caribbean illness. And No, no. She's like, oh. and so I learned, I, I, I learned to mess up my new intellectually, but I learned it on an experiential level, which is, you know, you can't be your own doctor ever, no matter no. what. Even when I thought I wasn't being my own doctor by seeing subspecialists, I was still being my own doctor. So, oh so you God. never don't take over the counter medications to treat some conditions. Like people, people I love lately. Lately, we had a few calls lately. People are you know saying I'm going to take St. John's Warts and five HTP and stuff. I'm like, fine, take that stuff, but somebody's got to be treating you. Right. You can't treat yourself. Don't do it. It's dangerous. Yeah, and I'm living proof of it. I'd be dead without it. And it, ultimately, I owe it to my wife for sending me, taking me in. Right, it was her instinct that really was the the key one that started all this. She just. There's something on a very. It's almost that. Uh, it's almost like that. Uh, that the. I don't know if you read Blink, the Malcolm Gladwell yeah. book, but it's just the idea that something in her brain processed something not right about no. you, even if on a conscious level she didn't know what that was. She was like, something's not right. Absolutely, and and I I live in that world of. I love that world of. The, we call it the right brain. It's the right brain world of instinct and, and feeling, and I, I just think that's that's the world we need to evolve going forward. And it's also the interpersonal space. It's we we co-create things as people. And she and I was co-creating something, and she experienced it in a way that defied language and objectivity, but. It was right. So how did you face all this? And like, what were the psychological effects, especially for someone like yourself who go, 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 go? And Again, like, I, knew, I knew too much. Uh, I, I was, <laughs> you know, back at work in 10 days. I took, and I timed it so it was across Fourth of July weekend. So, I had <laughs> so oh, no. and but but and I would li- and up at eight at CNN. I would lie down during commercial breaks and I'd go back in front of the camera. Oh and people kind of tell I wasn't myself, but they couldn't really tell, and I couldn't really tell until you know, I knew the first month or so I was kind of struggling a little bit. But but uh, I thought I was kind of back after that, and it was only recently that I realized I wasn't. So, so what was it? Was it just time? Time, yeah, just time. Time, and then it really for me, it's interesting for me that that running seems to be the thing that distinguishes between me being well and not. <laughs> cause all of a sudden, cause before I was like, I couldn't even imagine taking a run. Oh, no way. Now I'm like, I'm going to go do that today. Well, it's amazing that you even remember what you're supposed to feel like. It's true. In all that time. Surgeries fuck me up. They really <laughs> fuck me up. I had a hernia operation. I was messed up after that. Oh just, no. I, I, that was not recently. It was a long time ago, but I thought, yeah, I, I could tell then I don't do well with surgeries. And this was <laughs> no exception. No exception. And it's easy to understand why. They, t- they took an organ out. <laughs> they, took, they took an organ, goddammit. <laughs> but thank God they have these robotic devices, you know, the Da Vinci machine. It's a huge robot, and they put it all inside you. It's uh, fantastic. And they're only f- there are a few masters out there of the Da Vinci. Interesting. Oh, wow. Uh, and I got one. I got one. He has zero, had zero complications in like 1,100 surgeries. Oh, my God. So I was like, I will take those odds. 
So they they basically the robot just goes in and just lifts it out and then pulls it. What's well, a six hour deal? You know, so he's got he's got to dissect away all the nerves and the you know they, they, you're trying to save those nerves to the penis. That's the whole because they they run along the base of the prostate. Uh-huh. That's a, <laughs> 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 what you're experiencing now, Chris. Is it what's called a cremasteric response? Oh. It's the muscles that pull your testicles oh. back up into your body. Yeah, they're That's way up there. Yeah, it's like people can't see me, but I'm, I'm like my legs are crossed and I'm starting to get into a very protective like. No, no. <laughs> yeah, it's not fun. It's not fun, but it's. I'm so delighted that it's all normal now. It's crazy, and, and the cancer's out. It's you know PSA is zero, and so there's no um, there's we, no risk, two percent risk. So we still don't understand. We really don't understand much about cancer, do we? Well, the, uh, that's why I've gotten involved so much with the Prostate Cancer Foundation. Is they are funding really creative research without asking any questions. And they've come upon recently some extraordinary stuff that is probably going to have implication in other cancers as well. Really? In terms of these epigenetic modulators. And uh, they've just come on some shit that is just, oh, my God. We may, be, we may finally, this may be the beginning of us being able to turn off the machinery or shut down the machinery that that's cranked up in cancer. How far away are we from that, really? I mean, like... Wh- With prostate cancer, maybe five years. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a cure necessarily, but it might really crank it down. Yeah. It might be sooner. It might be three years. Oh, my God. Yeah, and if that... And there's a lot of cross-biology um, with uh, leukemia. And so that the, it might have similar effects in leukemia, too. I do... I did start going to see a urologist... Good. A few, a, hand, a few years ago. Good. Um, just because you know my grandfather had good. Yes, it's exactly and, the right thing to do. And um, it's uh, you don't want to went, go through what I went through. I can see it. You, well, like, no, I don't want to. No, <laughs> no, I don't want to go through any of it. <laughs> I'm I'll sure, have none of that. I'm sure you know. Poor <laughs> Chloe, tonight I'm gonna be home. Like I don't know. It feels. I feel weird. Tell her not to listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Although she may like the lack of mess, who knows? She knows. <laughs> she knows. She knows me so well, though. Yeah. I, like I'll, if I call her later and I go, uh, "Yeah, Drew was on the podcast. You know, he had prostate cancer." She'll be like, "You do not have." <laughs> oh, you're getting somatic. You're getting preoccupied. No, I, I'll be. I'll be okay. But see, that's the selfish. I think that's the selfish alcoholic part of my brain. It's like I'm going to take your thing and make it my thing. That's yeah, such yeah. a selfish, yeah, thing to do. Yeah. And it's also, but it's, it's a, kind it's, of disrespectful. No, it's also a human thing. It's a normal thing. Really? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're right and you're right, but it's also kind of a normal thing. That's how people are. I know what a lot of my problems are emotionally. It's, that doesn't mean that it makes them easier to control. Well, that's the point. Knowing about it, this is what people are confused about. Knowing about having great insight and having a cognitive appreciation of things is not the solution. The solution is <laughs> the experiential changes, and that's what you have to have with another person. And I always try to tell people that we build each other's brains. We build one another's brains. Yeah, because this brain, the sort of the the sort of common thread of addictive brains. Yeah. Um, you know, I try to tell people, and I think a lot of people get frustrated because they'll quit doing whatever it is they're supposed to be doing. Like, I'm still unhappy. And I'm like, yeah, because the thing that you were doing was just a symptom of the underlying problem. That's and right. That's what you have to figure out and that's work right. on. The drinking is just a medication thing. And that you always find it in an interpersonal experience. You don't find it alone. And by interpersonal experience, I mean with a sponsor, with a therapist, Somehow, it's in a it's in the setting of being with another that that real insight occurs and and change. And you can have those moments of where you're you all of a sudden make a connection to something. And you go, oh my god, it never occurred to me that oh wow, as, as it's just all yeah, because you're basically just it's almost like your brain is a fucking storage unit. And you're, it's like Storage Wars. <laughs> you're just sifting through it. Yep. Sometimes you'll find an old rusty ice skate, and then uh, you know, occasionally it's like, wow, look at this Botticelli. It's a, it's a 3D printer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very complex. I almost wonder if we... I love that. I love that show. I don't care that it's fake. You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't care. Is it totally the, the, fake? I, I don't care. I don't know. I, I like the characters. I don't care. Both of them. I, I, I don't care. I don't care if they put all I'll the shit in there. It doesn't matter. I don't give a shit. They're still the same people. It I'm is watch. fun. It is. It does. It does activate that kind of like uh, hunter gatherer thing that we have. Like no treasure <gasps> hunting. Treasure. Yeah. Treasure yeah. hunting. Yeah. Oh wow, that's so great. Yeah. I. I, uh, I. You know, I was. I watched it a bit, and then when they went to New York, for some reason, I just. It's a different cast. It yeah. was just a different vibe. Yeah, it's not quite as good. I agree, but I still like those. I still like. I mean, it's 
you know. I don't know why. I just like watching Redneck now. You spend much time out there. I'm going there Wednesday night to do Caroline's. Nice. Um, and then, but my work schedule is really great. Actually, it's kept me in town a lot because I was in town here. Yeah, the at midnight show is giving me such a structure. Yeah. Before I was fucking traveling like every weekend. Oh. And so the next five to six weeks will be pretty travel intensive, but but it's been so nice to just be in town for a while and on weekends. Like, oh, I don't even know what to do with myself. I have no. All your Instagram pictures are all those are pictures from that show because every every day you post with other people. Oh yeah, the selfies kind of. Yeah, yeah. Is that, I, is that always that show, or are there other? It's 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 either Talking Dead or this show, okay. or or, oh, or, oh, or oh, comic book ta- conventions. See, that's why I get confused. Or, it could be Talking Dead there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's um right, or, right. or podcasts. It's yes. basically just um, you know, these these are just things that happen. Follow Chris on Instagram. It's good. Yeah, follow me. It's good. It's fun, but it, it's still pretty. Like, I mean, if you look at my Instagram feed, you're like, Jesus Christ, there's a lot of selfies with famous people. <laughs> so but we should, but we should just, get together in the city though, because because I'm there a lot. Oh, York. that'd be great. Yeah, I'm there. For, I'm going Friday. How, so. how long are you in LA for? I'm here more more than there, but I'm there like once every six weeks at least. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I'll be back in June at some okay. point for a few yep, days. Me too. So we'll go there. Let's that'd be really out. nice. Yeah, that'd be really nice. It'd be fun to. You know, the podcast is always a good excuse to sit down, especially with busy people. It's always a good excuse to force you know us to get together and yes. hang out. But yes. it also reminds me, like you could just hang out. <laughs> <laughs> you could just go. What are you talking about? I know, I know, <laughs> I know. No, that, but that goes back to this very important point I was making, which is we don't do enough of that in this country. No. Of, of spend, spending time with not just important people, but people we like like and are, find interesting and just spending time. It's very powerful. So, I, you know, I, I yell at my sons about this all the time. That's what dating is. You don't have to have a relationship. You don't have to sleep with it. You just hang out. It's, it's an important experience. Right. Just just yeah. communing with other You're human person. beings. You find out, and, when, and when it's in a romantic context, so to speak, it, you evaluating if it's the kind of, you know, kind of person you want to be with. You meet different kinds of people. You see how you fit and work with other people. Yeah. We've lost that. <laughs> We've really lost it. Well, it's also hard because, the, you know, our lives consist of... You know that we uh, we're we're consumed with a lot of empty busyness. Where it's just yeah. like I'm so busy, I'm so busy. I'm so, what are you doing? I don't know. I'm just fucking busy. That's the harriedness. Yeah. What are you doing? I just yeah. I got it for yeah. like yeah. You, know, you really. If you really, I tell people when they can to like write down everything they do when it's happening in a day and just like write down how long those things took. Ooh, just that's time good. it. That's good. Because it's basically just collecting data so you can go, oh yeah, I didn't really need to do this. I mean, yeah. I didn't need to be on the internet from 1 to 2.30 yes. looking up squirrel videos. No, I right. didn't really need to do a, that. A lot of people visualizing and writing really helps see things. Well, just putting stuff into the physical world yeah. so you can kind of manipulate the, yeah. you yep. know. But, it's, but it, is, it is kind of amazing how Everyone I know is like, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. What are you doing? I don't know. I was, I was fucking busy. You, you don't have... I mean, we're, we started watching... Um, we, all weekend long, we watched the show about gypsy weddings, American gypsy weddings. Oh, yeah, those are great. Which was fascinating. Yeah. And then, ju- and then just took the same formula over to the uh, Breaking Amish. Which is basically nice. Like just slid I gotta see it that. over. Yeah, I've totally different that. aesthetic, but same underlying principle. Which is well, it, which is um, there's a, a, a small close knit community of yeah. traditionalists who, yeah. but they just kind of express those traditions in different ways. And how do they, how do they keep intact those traditions? And how have they evolved over time? Yeah. And and then and then it's a lot of fish out of water stuff. The Amish one is literally fish out of water because they just throw them into New York City. Wow. Um, but uh, but it's been really um, it's been really interesting to see. I don't know, just from that perspective, like oh yeah, these are just people trying to deal with shit in the same, <laughs> like completely getting out of their out of their element. I don't remember why I started talking about that. Uh, what did I, what did being busy, that? being busy. Oh, so I'm watching the Amish one, and then part of us is like. That looks like so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have any electronics. They just have gas lamps. <laughs> and now their days are very work intensive. You know, they have to do a lot of but but at the end of the day it's like their house just is just a stove and a kitchen table. <laughs> Would that be awesome? And then some books, and that's it. Ooh. I think it'd be fun for like a week, and I'd be like, I think I'd last oh, I made enough butter. I last about three hours. I think. <laughs> I, I always sort of tease the idea of. You know, I, I always say to, I always say to Chloe, uh, 
oh, I don't have to do anything on Saturday. I'm just going to stay in bed all day. And of course I don't. I get up and I have to find things to do. Just Mr. Busybody. It's all good. Chris, remember I told you about my prostate? Yeah. I got to pee. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. I, 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 well, you are leaning the microphone on the your bladder. My, my bladder's not helping. All right, well, because you went through all the prostate stuff, I'm going to allow you to end the Thank podcast you. now by peeing. Thank you. But first, I would like to tell you this really long, involved story about my childhood. <laughs> you see, it was never easy you for me. You can tell me. I'll listen back. I'll just go out and run out and pee. I'll, I'll listen later. I, I love hearing myself talk, so if you did that, I'd still be talking by the time you got back. Um, it was wonderful catching up with you. Is there anything you want to... What are you promoting? <laughs> Nothing really. I mean, I wish people would follow HLN more. Uh, that sh- we are going to change that show in the next three months, I'd say, and it's going to be much more like uh, the Drew on Call show. Yeah, it's going to be very much like politically incorrect the way it's going to go. Not, not we're not modeling that after that, but it's going to look like that. It's going to, and it's going to be all in the studio. And I, we did a sort of version of it last week, and it, looked, it was fantastic. So I'm very excited about that. Um, podcast, me and Adam, yeah, drdrew.com. Uh, we he and I are podcasting again, though. Right now, he's doing his movie, so I have uh, I have fill in guests. I don't know who my who's who it is this week, even it was Brad Williams and uh, oh, Adam, nice. Adam Ray last week. Um, and uh, Loveline's still on at 10 o'clock. We're still on K Rock, believe it or not. Excellent. Mm-hmm. All Excellent. right, Dr. Drew, good to see you, Chris. And thank you, a sincere thank you again. Pleasure. I thank you for. Because my life would not be what it is now if and I did not make that, that phone call so, to you I'm that, so that happy day. For you. And you said, you got to get in a program. you got to do this. You need something. And you, 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 you thought you'd never have anything in your life again. You thought it was all gone. I was terrified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway. Well, look at you. I feel good. I want you to feel good. So okay. go pee. I will. Enjoy a burrito, everyone. <laughs> Enjoy your pee burrito. <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Are you tired of dating assholes? Do you want a Prince Charming? If so, we're filming a reality show. Sign up here. 12 American women are flown over to the UK for a Bachelor-style reality dating show. There are so many questions about a show like this, because it's so odd. These women have been told that they were going to be dating the world's most eligible bachelor, Prince Harry. What? Y'all playing with me, right? You can binge The Bachelor of Buckingham Palace exclusively on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app.